What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to three on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. Uh, all right. Today's recap of where we stand in the Alec Murdoch trial. He's charged with uh, killing his wife and uh, youngest adult son, Maggie and Paul Murdoch. Uh, Matt Harris joins us as he does every two o'clock here uh, during the this saga. He is the co-host of the podcast Impact of Influence. You can catch it on any of the uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, Matt, thanks again for joining me today. I appreciate it. Uh, Proud to be here. Yeah, yeah. So... All righty, let's, uh, let's go over, I guess, the last time we spoke. We had not seen the after- yesterday afternoon's testimony. Um, oh, yeah. I have not been able to track a lot of the testimony uh, this morning from Alec Murdoch, who took the stand uh, in his own defense. He's under cross-examination by the state. All right, so let's go to yesterday afternoon. A couple things, right? There was the, the badge. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. as an assistant part-time solicitor, which is a prosecutor, uh, he got a badge, and oh. he would... He would leave a badge on the dashboard. Uh, he had it hanging out of his pocket when he was walking around the hospital after the boat wreck uh, that his son was involved in and later charged for. And uh, all right, so what do you what what did you make of this line of questioning about the use of the badge? I mean, I kind of get where they're going with it. I to me, it's not a huge deal. Uh, he said even when they were asking him, he's like, "Yeah, to get me." some favors with law enforcement if I needed it and something. I don't know if he used the word favors, but basically to get out of a speeding ticket. They pulled over, they see that on there, and they're like, hey, what's the deal? And uh, that, 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 that takes care of that. Um, I, and when he was the badge at the hospital the night of the boat crash, uh, the, the obvious implication is there. He's putting that out there, hoping that people will you know talk to him, which is weird because I think most of these, law enforcement people know him anyway, or maybe the hospital, you know, staff would let him go somewhere they're not supposed to go. It's but, preferential uh, treatment, right? I mean, it's, it yeah. signals preferential treatment, a desire for it. It's the same reason put, people put FOP stickers on their cars, exactly. right? Yeah, it gets them access to different areas of the hospital. People treat him differently. Uh, if he gets yeah. pulled over, get out of a speeding ticket, right? And they spent so much time on it, though, that uh, granted, maybe he thought he wasn't getting a straight answer, but I would not be surprised that there's a lot of solicitors or people who have badges from something that's like they're an a you know uh, a liquor agent or something that they might happen to leave their badge laying out all the time so they can get somewhere. I right. don't think it's a huge shock on that. Right. So, but I so my theory on this is that they spend so much time on it is uh, the reason is because number one it highlights the fact that contrary to what he testified in his uh, direct examination that uh, he lied to the SLED agents because of his fears and his opinions of of SLED, that, in fact, he had this badge, and he actually had a good relationship with law enforcement. He was a prosecutor, and the fact that he would use the badge in order to get preferential treatment, that that he was actually comfortable with them. Now, all of a sudden, we hear, oh, wait, you lied about being at the kennels because you were afraid of sled, you, you didn't want to tell them that at the time. Why would you be afraid of that if you have a good relationship with law enforcement and consider yourself to be among them? He said the turn came though after the boat crash. He said that's when he started his mistrust 
of law enforcement was after the boat crash. Mm-hmm. And that picture in the hospital of the boat crash, um, and that, that, that was his end around of that. He said it was after the boat crash, the way he was being targeted and his family felt was being targeted, that's when his distrust began. All right, and so then the other, the other part of it is, is uh, I think, strategy, which is yeah. Alec Murdoch being a lawyer, um, it is... This is one of the most frustrating exchanges that I have ever seen in in a oh courtroom God. setting, because in, in, in life, yeah, it's because every question that gets asked, Alec, the lawyer, pretends to be unclear, not understanding what is being asked of him, and then they end up in this this fight over a detail in a in a in the sentence that was asked of him, and then he will then, uh, once it gets hammered, once we argue that, it gets hammered out, then it's like, well, what was the question again? And then it yeah. goes on again, and it keeps happening, yeah. and he yeah. can't even acknowledge something like, did you have the badge, you know, were you showing the badge on the dashboard to get preferential treatment? And of course, that's why everybody would put the badge on the dashboard like that, but he has yeah. all of these explanations, oh, I'm not sure, oh, I don't know, remember when I put it there, different reasons, I don't know if I had it hanging out of my pocket, and it just the the dancing around, and I think that might be part of the strategy that the the state is is using here, which is to say the guy can't even say what is most obvious right. to everyone. And the thing is, and this is not meant as defensive, Alec Murdoch, but I'm sure that in when he's gotten depositions and that sort of thing, he has phrased questions in a way that got his opponent to answer in a way that was helpful to his. So he's thinking like an attorney thinks, and he's thinking, okay, what is the trick in the way this was worded, and how is it going to be used against me? And it, it, so it, it takes him a second to process, and he's really going over what exactly created. Because sometimes, truthfully, I thought some of the questions were very kind of vague mm-hmm. that were fairly, where I was like, what, I was thinking, okay, what do you want him to say here? Or he would say, okay, you looked at these uh, one of the things you keep going over is you look at these people in the eye and you told them you were ripping them off. Explain uh, what you, what you said to them, and I thought it was a fair answer. To say. I was 13 years ago. One of the most were like over 10 years ago. I don't know exactly what I, I said because again, he also doesn't want to say something. You know, he goes, "Okay, I think I said something like this, this, and this." And he goes, "Ah, you said something like that." Well, I didn't mean exactly. Right. You know what I mean? So he's looking. He's on the yeah. He's on constant patrol for traps. Being yeah. a, being yeah. an attorney. Uh, he, he's trying to figure out what the trap is. Now, of course, some of the questions might not be traps. And how, you, how do you know which is a trap and which isn't? So you can't know that ahead of time. So you have to treat every single question like it's a trap. And that's how we end up with these exchanges where we spent like an hour yesterday where they were going through. And all what, what the prosecutor, I think, was trying to get to was, was to, to break Alec out of his rehearsed answer, which he denied it was a rehearsed answer, but it was because right. he kept saying the same thing. I misled my clients. I lied to my clients. I took their money. I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. And what the prosecutor's asking, well, all right, well, tell me one instance. And finally, he says, just give me a story. Like, you don't remember any of these stories? Oh, I remember every one of these people. I remember every case. They were, I, I remember it all. Okay, well, tell me about one of them. Well, I can't remember. Like, well, which is it then, man? And he's like, well, I'm not sure what you're asking me. Right, well, you know it- Hey, you come home later than you should, and your wife's waiting for you. And she says, "You starts asking you questions. You're on your you're on your heels the whole time. You're like, I, 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 uh, how many drinks did you have? Two. Well, uh, really? Well, okay, I had a shot too. But you asked how many drinks? They weren't mixed drinks. They were beers. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It gets, yeah, they're picking asking? nits. Did you talk to a woman? Did you talk to a woman way there? Um, no. Well, maybe. On the way to the bathroom, I might have said hi to somebody. You know, it's, 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 you're just looking to, how am I going to get busted? Right. He repeats the question every time the que- a question is asked. Um, he can't remember conversations, all the details of conversations, and some of that is completely legit. I totally get that. I agree with you. You're like, 13 years ago, man, I don't remember it. But what, what uh, I think what the uh, what Creighton Waters, the, the prosecutor, is trying to do with all of this is to reinforce with the jury that Alec Murdoch is doing a performance for you right now. The, this, yeah. These are all lies. And yep. if he was willing to lie to the people who lost their loved ones, were maimed by in, uh, by accidents, and he stole mm-hmm. their money, and he mm-hmm. lied to them while doing it, and so Waters just kept beating him over the head. He also gets Alec to ad- admit all of these financial crimes because they're also charging him with all the financial crimes in a separate proceeding. So, right. yeah, so they're building that case, too. Um, right. We're trying a few things at once, so we'll get him on that, they'll get him on that. The yeah. other, all right, so now let's move, so now we get to, uh, let's go to uh, today. Um they, they were hammering away at the timeline, and uh, they're trying to get some times. And, of course, all of this is tedious because of the way Murdoch is responding and the questions that are asked of him. But it sounds like uh, he says he got in the, or he got in the golf cart uh, that night. He, when they had dinner, he was up at the house. He laid down, took a nap, woke up, and then, what, drove down in the golf cart, down to the kennels. He's on the video. He then jumps in the golf cart and drives back, and that gives him, like, 15 minutes he makes he, he walks around. He says he lays back down, sleeps right, again, right. but he doesn't know if he slept. He's not sure. Uh, then he gets ready to go. And now they've been they've been talking about these two hundred eighty three steps that he yeah, takes this, in this, four yeah, minutes. This, yeah, this is big on this one. Okay. Yeah, like nine oh six to nine ten. And so those. And so why is that? A, why is that a big deal? I thought it was kind of a big deal because he keeps saying I was preparing to leave, and when the prosecutor said, "Well, what does that mean?" he had no explanation for it. Right. And he said, when they went to the bathroom, he said, well, that's a lot of steps. Don't you remember? And I thought there was a way out for him on this. And, but he didn't handle it because he also was making phone calls during that time, right? Right. Um, right now I'm talking to you on the phone and I'm pacing like crazy. Uh, that's all he had to say. Yeah. I was on the phone and I was just, I was just walking in circles because that's what I do when I'm trying to make phone calls and talk or whatever. But he just kept saying, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how I took those steps. Maybe they're not accurate. Maybe the device is inaccurate. I, I don't know. He says, you don't remember what you did for four minutes? You, you didn't take a shower or get dressed because you already did that. So when you're saying you're getting ready to go, what, what, what are you doing? I, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so, I thought, yeah, and then yeah. the prosecutor asked him, what were you doing? Did you get on the treadmill? Were you doing oh, jumping yeah. jacks? I thought, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right. There, so, are you allowed to object to things that are ridiculous? I don't know. <laughs> right. But I thought Alec made uh, good points when he said stuff like, I, I could tell you what I was not doing. Like, you want to say I was cleaning up a crime scene, but I was not doing that. And I'm not trying. He said later, you know, I did not call uh, Maggie to tell her to come home, even though we talked about it on the phone call that was made about her coming back up to Moselle. But I, I never manufactured an alibi because I would never harm my wife and child, he said. Right. And I thought that was a good answer. Good answer. A good answer there. And also, I think it was a fair thing. And I, I have said this to multiple people. These dogs are going to keep coming up. And I don't think they were done with the dogs yet. Because mm-hmm. um, he now says, he, well, you know, thinking about it now, Maggie always took the, I always wanted to say Buster, but that's the kid. Yeah, Bubba, um, or uh, yeah, Bubba and Grady. Yeah, Bubba always always took Bubba to Edisto. So the fact that she left Bubba there and, and Grady 
told me that she planned on coming back to Mazelle. And that was a deep, you know, that was a, that, that's a, a small point that does get over to the um, idea that he lured them, lured her there. Right. Uh, and he said, I always asked her to come home. That was nothing unusual about me saying, I want you to come home, because I always wanted her to come home. Um, you know, and they talked about the time with Shelly Smith and the, and the shirt with Blanca, and he says, I wasn't trying to change their minds or anything. I was just trying to get, find out, because I don't remember what, you know, I was a little hazy on how long I was there or whatever. I don't know. Um, but the, still, the, they went back to it again just a bit ago. Is that why July? And they're showing the interview. And it's like, I'm telling you, I, he says, did you lie right here? <laughs> they start the video up. They're like, you decided to lie right at the beginning of this interview. No, I didn't. And it's all wordsmith maneuvering. Right. You know, because in the interview, the, if, you, if you do play it, now it's made a point, even though, you know, we're, we're parsing things here. Uh, he says, the, the question on the, the, the Waters showed was when the cop says to him the back of the thing, you know, so what was basically, what was, so what happened or what was going on? He goes, well, Maggie was at the kennels and I was at the house and I got up and left. He doesn't say I was never at the kennels. He doesn't say, all he says was, I was, she was at the kennels, and I was at the house, and I got up, and I went to the thing. Right. And he's like, he says, if you, he says, Mr. Waters, I didn't say there, I never went to the kennels. I just left it out. All right. Uh, he just left it out, omitted it. All right. Uh, yeah. Matt, yeah, Matt, I got to run away late for our break. Uh, yep. Uh, yes, sir. As always, I appreciate it. It's Matt Harris, co-host of Impact of Influence. Get it on the podcast platform of your choice. All righty. So... In chatting there with uh, Matt Harris, uh, co-host of the podcast Impact of Influence, um, we talked about sort of this the, the frustration level, and I'm not sure. So I was watching this last night uh, after the show. I went home and I was I got it on, and I'm taking notes and stuff. And I'm going to play for you just sort of an uh, this is sort of an idea of what uh, of how this this cross examination is going. Okay. And I think this is part of a strategy in order to convey the evasiveness and the manipulative way that Murdoch speaks. I mean, he is a lawyer after all. I mean, that's, I kid, I kid the lawyers. Um, But that's, I think that was the strategy. Like once you realize like every single time you ask this guy, well, here, I'll just play the audio. You could... Judge for yourself. You, you don't remember? I, I know that I inflated the fees like I just talked about, but I believe what, go back to that top of that thing, I believe what I must have done with the structured annuity is I had that $500,000 check, and I must have had that made to, uh, I must have had that made to forge, as you've heard, to steal that money from Dion Martin. Who was a client. Bottom. That I shouldn't have. Is that your signature down there? It is. Is that Dion Martin's signature on the other side? It. You dispute that? No, I don't dispute that. So you would have sat down with Dion Martin and gone over this document with him and convinced him that there was nothing to miss here? You know, again, I don't know if I went over the document with him or not, but I certainly misled Dion Martin. I certainly lied to Dion Martin. I certainly took money from Dion Martin that did not belong to me, and I shouldn't have done it. 
That's his answer you know, for specifically every case. Talking to Dion, there was nothing in you that causes you to remember talking with Dion, sitting there with this document in front of him, as you looked him in the eye, knowing that you were lying to him the whole time. You don't even remember that. Nothing in you that causes you to remember that? To specifically remember? I'm not sure that I did sit down with Dion Martin. Okay. Um, but I certainly, Mr. Waters, I misled Dion Martin. I lied to Dion Martin. I took Dion Martin's money when I shouldn't have. Well, let me ask you this. Of all the people on here, all these exhibits, do you have any independent recollection of a time where you sat down and looked that person in the eye and you were lying to them and, and convincing them that everything was okay while you stole their money? Do you remember it, even one of them? I'm sure I do. Okay, well, tell us about one. I, I mean, you have to show me. You have to give me. I'm asking you if you remember one time where you're sitting there in your heart looking somebody in the eye knowing you're stealing from them and you remember it. I remember stealing from people, I remember lying to people, and I remember misleading people. For me to tell you that I sat down with each one of these people... Um, I'm asking you to tell me about just one conversation, one time where you recall looking somebody in the eye and convincing them with your lies that nothing was amiss. One conversation. There were plenty of conversations where I looked people in the eye and I lied to them. Mm -hmm. There were plenty of times where I took money that I shouldn't have taken. There were plenty of times where I stole money for me to sit and tell you a specific time that I sat down with a specific document and what exactly was said. If you ask me questions, but I, I, can't, I can't remember sitting down with Dion. On a they certainly remember it, don't they, Mr. Murdoch? I don't know if they do or not, but I would assume so. But you can't tell us one time where it just sticks out in your memory where you're like, I'm pulling a fast one right now. Oh, no. Or anything. Whatever reaction you had. You oh, can't no. remember a single one? No, sir. That's not correct. I can remember a lot of times where I lied to my clients, I misled my clients, and I stole money from my clients in conversations. But for me to sit and tell you that I had a conversation about this particular document I don't dispute it. Yeah. No, you don't dispute it, Mr. Martin. You've said that a hundred times, haven't you? <laughs> but you can't recall for this jury one of these people looking them in the eye while you lied to them. You can't recall a single one. I've asked you this three times now. Oh, I promise you. Answer. Your Honor, ask and answer three times. Well, here, here. <laughs> here. Here you go, Ms. Mr. Waters. Made, isn't it, Mr. Murdoch? I, I I don't know if your point's made or not, but okay. here here's here's you don't know that either, do you? Here's what I will say again. I remember lying to clients of mine. Mm -hmm. I did it on more than one occasion. Mm -hmm. I took their money when I shouldn't have taken it. I'm sure that I looked them in the eye. I'm sure that I misled them. But I can't tell you exactly when those occurred 12 years ago is the only point. I don't dispute that they occurred. I don't dispute that everything about what I did was wrong. Okay. But I can't sit and tell you the specific details that you're wanting me to give you. All right, because remember, he's got 99 charges against him. And if he says, oh, I remember doing this thing to that guy, that's that, then he's done. I would point out also he has uh, 
uh, he has pleaded not guilty to all of those financial crimes. Let me go over here and get Jimmy on. Hello, Jimmy. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey there, Pete. Hey. Um, I think he's guilty, and it still sticks in my head about the the lady that was taking care of his mom mm-hmm. and her testimony. Shelly Smith. And I, and I think that was for, that was been it for me. What about what's was there any part of her testimony specifically that you're that that swung it for you? Yeah, it just you know him trying to convince her to on the time, and you know, and her you know her crying. It's just it's just for me if I was on the jury, I, I think my mind would have already kind of been made up. Mm-hmm. So and well, the 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 OnStar data tracks with. You know what Shelly Smith said that he was there for like twenty minutes, um, and you know her, him saying thirty minutes or forty minutes. What like is it possible that he was just say, like he he just misremembered the time and said thirty minutes, and you know his thirty minutes is her twenty minutes, and he didn't realize it would be that big of a of a difference to be ten minutes off on the estimate. Well, I guess you know then what was going on, but. To me, it, just, it sounded like he was, he was just trying to manipulate her. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like that, that's, I guess, you know, stuff what you read. Now, I ain't a, I'm not a juror. If I was a juror, I don't know if I would have some parts of the information. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it just seems like they just, it was, they just manipulated everybody they seemed to come in contact with. Well, and see, <laughs> no, no, that's a great observation because I think that's what the prosecution is actually doing here. I think they're showing that he is now. I don't say I'm not saying that this means he's a double murderer. I'm saying he is a he is a very good manipulator. Um, that the way he is engaging in this uh, in this uh, cross examination proves that that he is that he's able to uh, to to take people's words, twist the words, twist the question, answer a part of it, ignore another part when called and when called out on it, then goes to some other area and says, "Oh, yeah, I was talking about this document." And the guy is literally sitting up there saying, uh, "I remember all of the conversations of how I lied to all of these people." And when the prosecutor says, "All right, well, give me one example," then he says, "Well, you're asking me about this one case." Well, no, I'm asking you, give me a story. Tell me one example. But see, Murdoch can't do it because if he does it, then that means that's going to get used against him in the financial crimes trial. And that's what he's trying to avoid. So he's manipulating the the cross-exam. That's And I think that's what the state is trying to show the jury, that here's a guy that lied to people at the worst parts of their life where they had suffered serious life-altering injury or death of loved ones, and he manipulated them, and he took advantage of them, he lied to them, and if he did it to them, he's going to do it to you. Yeah, and I, you know, I watched the Netflix thing last night. Oh, how was it? And, uh, and all the other stuff that they've done with the, you know, the boat incident with the girl yeah. and the young man found on the road. And I, I'm, I'm, I want to ask uh, Sled and the local police down there, what are y'all doing down there? I mean, <laughs> you, just let, you just let this family just have their way with the locals down there, and y- y'all didn't seem to like not have any issue with it. It's so like they need to be investigated. Well, see, here's all right. So to that point, Jimmy, 
the prosecution has brought up this idea of the family dynasty, that that the, the protection of the reputation of the family was of great concern to Alec, uh, and uh, he wanted to kind of to preserve that. But I think there's another component to this, and I haven't really heard them talk about it, but maybe they will on their clothes, which is Alec apparently, and this came out of trial, I had not heard this before, Alec had installed on his car, this was like 10 years, 15 years ago, whatever, blue lights. He had blue lights on his personal vehicle as an assistant part-time solicitor. He had blue lights. I don't know why you would have the blue lights on there, but the guy that he that installed them installed the blue lights on law enforcement vehicles all around that area and all the different local police departments. And that guy went down apparently for all sorts of corruption. Now, Alec had gotten approval from like three or four or five different sheriffs or chiefs of police or whatever asking, hey, can I do this? And they all said yes. So if that indicates to me something more than just a family dynasty, right? I think and I also wonder if there's something larger going on with the pills and law enforcement and that area and the, the, the power structure, the power brokers that live there. I do wonder. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in South Carolina my whole life. The upstate is much different than the low part of the state. The low part of the state goes under those rules, you know, 15, 60 years ago. It, it's just, it's just, a, it, you know, it's just, yeah, they, they, they're kind of lost in time in the way they do things. Mm. Yeah, no, well, I, I remember I got a speeding ticket down there one year, and I uh, got a lawyer up here, the late Monroe Whitesides, and when he was uh, telling me, all right, this is how you, uh, you'll pay this and, and whatever, and no point, I think it was a prayer for judgment and this and that. I said, wow, when you say it like this, it sounds like a racket. <laughs> he said, well, yeah, it kind of is. And that's how they fund the court system, right? They, they take a big chunk of money, and then they, they reduce everything to improper equipment. Um, that, was how they, that was how they would roll. All right, I appreciate the call, Jimmy. Good to hear from you, man. Um, no, I think that's accurate. I, look, I got a lot of other questions about how law enforcement operates down there, and maybe that's why Murdoch was worried when he sat for those interviews, right? He was worried because he knows exactly how things operate there. He knows precisely the kind of operation that is at work, the networks and all that, and if he becomes a liability... He, he jeopardizes that status, then he's got to go. Because that's going to be, right? That, I mean, there's a motive. So maybe he thought they were going to frame me for this stuff. I, look, I don't know. I am kind of surprised he hasn't spent more time trying to say that the stuff he did was, was uh, you know, in a fog of addiction. Like, he, 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 he has not made the argument that he doesn't remember stuff because he was all strung out on opioids. I am, I, I am curious about that. But I'm also not really on board with the idea that that he was popping $50,000 a week worth of pills. Because the guy that he was buying them from, he's not living in any kind of uh, pad that would indicate he's profiting on that. I almost wonder if, well, I said this before, like I, I'm curious if there was some sort of trafficking operation going on with the pills. Yes, he may have been using them. But that's a lot of pills. That's a lot of pills. Also, we found out yesterday, I think, uh, or maybe it was this morning, real estate transactions that he had been engaged in, and uh, he lost a bunch of money on some real estate deals. 
So maybe that's where the money was going as well. Um, what else? There was the. I have another. I do have another audio clip. Um, he addressed the question of, uh, or he fought back against this idea of whether he lured Maggie to the property that evening uh, in order to uh, murder her. Um, I thought he did a good job in addressing that. He said, I did not call her uh, to ask her to come home. And he said the fact that the dogs were at the kennel at Moselle property, that told me that she was going to come up there. I did not need to lure her there. But then again, the wordsmithing thing occurs where he says, you know, I did not call her to ask her to come up here. We, we talked multiple times on the phone that day, and while talking on the phone about other things, then I would say, yeah, are you coming up? I always wanted her to be here. I always wanted to be with her. So I thought that was a good answer to some degree. Um, I did not think he had a good answer for why all of his phone logs were deleted. <laughs> That's not a, He did not have a good answer for that. How come for this, this period of time, starting the day of the murders, all your phone logs were wiped clean? And he said he did not, uh, if he did that, I did not intentionally delete the phone logs. I'm not trying to manufacture an alibi. So there's a lot of passive voice work going on here, too, I've noticed. A lot of this thing that happened instead of, like, I did this thing. All right, so uh, email here. This is from Dave. He says, I've been following the trial only by listening to WBT, and my question and thoughts over the past two days are, number one, he admitted he was paranoid. Well, paranoia is a reason to kill his wife and son. That's a great point. Yeah, like why, if the paranoia led you to lie to the cops and the drugs gave you the paranoia, maybe you were paranoid about what your kid and wife were doing and what it would cost you or whatever. Like, they haven't made that connection. Maybe they will. And Dave says, if I was a juror, I would be livid at his evasive, manipulative answers during cross. Here's the thing. I think the evasiveness undermines this this performance of contrition, right, that he's trying to convey. Here's how the here's how the cross questioning ended yesterday. Take a listen. Tell me about Miss Malley. So she lost her daughter, correct? Is that correct? That is correct. And she came to you for help. Daughter, is that correct? Granddaughter, but all right. One. All right. And she came to you for help, correct? Yes, sir. I agree with you on that. Very, very sweet lady, correct? Very sweet lady. All right. Tell me about your conversation when you looked her in the eye and lied to her while you were stealing every dime of the money. That's this is a perfect example, Mr. Waters. I stole her money. I did her wrong. But I don't even believe that Elise Mallory was there when I stole that money. I don't. If you look at that disbursement sheet, there's. I, I, I don't even believe I ever sh- showed that to her. Okay. You don't remember having any conversations with her when you lied with her about this case while you were stealing all her money. I don't think I did in this case. I don't think I had any meetings with her. I think I stole her money. And I don't believe that I had a meeting with her. See, again, you can't tell us one conversation you have with any of these people when you look them in the eye and convince them that you were doing them right, that you were telling the truth. That's not true, Mr. Waters. I remember a lot of those conversations. I remember a lot of them. Okay. All right. You just testified you remember a lot of them. I've been asking you now for the past 10 minutes to tell me about one of them where it's stuck in your heart. There are a lot of stuck in your brain. There are a lot of conversations I had where I misled my clients and I stole their money where they trusted me. And I remember them. But he won't tell you any of the conversations. I think uh, Ikifu is on to the reason why here on Twitter. She says 
the state is trying to solicit a name so that they can use it in their closing arguments. And Alex Murdoch knows it. Right. Why do you think the prosecutor keeps saying, look him in the eye. You look him in the eye. Why? Why does he keep saying that? Because that's what he's going to say at close. He's going to say, Alec Murdoch sat in this witness stand, and he looked you right in the eye, just like he looked all those clients right in the eye, and he lied to them, and he's lying to you now. That's the, that's the other. So there's strategy, right, involved here, and the, Alec knows it. Very smart, right? Lawyer. Lawyers. Man. Oh, I kid the lawyers. I kid. I kid the lawyers. Two six packs of shiners, 99 cent butane lighters, lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler, take a guess at all to do her. I can feel a good one coming on. Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard, sing along to Redneck Mother. Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober I can feel a good one coming on So the kickoff was last night. The coolest dog in Charlotte contest. It is underway. It runs through March 24th. Winner to be announced on March 30th. Charlotte-Kiwanis.org. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang Followed us down to the lake And didn't have to think about that too long Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight Situation couldn't be more right I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking Till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one Feel like a good one I can feel a good one coming on so it's pretty easy. You enter your dog into the contest. Go to charlotte-kiwanis.org. Get votes. That raises money. Money pays for literacy programs to help catch kids back up after uh, the devastation of the lockdowns. So it's a great organization. And maybe your dog could be featured on the front of a beer can. And the bragging rights. I'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Yeah.